I'm Mark Muniz. Thanks for listening. Not long ago, I was lucky enough to be on Felix Kruger's podcast called The State of Sales Enablement. We covered some really important pieces around sales development success that I think is super relevant for the listeners of this podcast today. So what I've done is I've edited Felix's episode and provided it here for you. I'm sure you'll find it thought-provoking. Whilst it's not quite as tactical as usual, there's still some great things in here you can implement, especially if you're a team leader. In this chat, we talk about why the sales development function, as I see it, is broken in most businesses and what steps you can take to improve it. We also discuss why big software businesses and sales engagement platforms are not only hypocritical in the way that they sell, but they're actually making most of their sellers worse at selling, not better. You heard that right, they're actually teaching their staff to sell really poorly. And lastly, why the sales enablement function is slowing down the success of most sales teams, not speeding up their sales results. Before we jump into this episode, can I ask you for a quick favor? I'm trying to get this podcast into as many ears as I can. One of the most common ways this happens is when people recommend a podcast to their friends or their colleagues. So it just made sense that if you find this episode interesting, please share it with at least one other person. I'd really appreciate it, and you'll be helping to make the world a better place for us sales professionals. Now let's flick across to the show. In the last 15 years, I have not come across a single organization that has claimed that sales development is an area that doesn't have room for improvement. And that's the exact reason our guest in today's episode is an extremely demanded expert in the APAC region and beyond. His recipe for success? Deep sales development experience paired with a no-nonsense approach. Please welcome Mark McInnes. Mark, welcome to the State of Sales Enablement. Felix, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So usually I'm the host. I'm very nervous. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The table has turned after you hosted me on your podcast, which I, by the way, recommend anybody tuning into who is interested in the sales development space. It's the Boss Podcast. So... Looking forward to this conversation. Thank you very much. Yeah, and we had a great chat, so I'm hoping that I can at least return the favor as half as well as what you did on my So thank you, Felix. So in terms of your background and what you do, a lot of people in the APEC region are familiar with your work and you also put out a whole bunch of content, including your podcast on social media. But for international listeners who might not have heard about you and your work, what is your background and what do you do now? I'm one of those typical lifelong sellers. I've been in sales for a long time, 30 years sort of thing. Absolutely love it. I love the process of selling. I love the theory around sales. I'm just one of these people that can't get enough of it. But what I do today and have done for quite a few years now is I train sales teams predominantly in the mid-market space and, and a little bit below. And over the last few years, I've really become a specialist in sales development, so creating meetings. And I say, let's generate as many meetings as possible without being spammy. And I've actually recently started another business called Sales Development as a a Service. And what we're doing is helping businesses to create those meetings if they don't have the sales function themselves. So I either train salespeople on sales organizations to get meetings, or I've got a business that does that as a DIY service. I love it. So you're really deep involved in that space. And you also deal with a whole bunch of organizations, which It's always an angle that I love talking about on this podcast because it provides that macro view of the respective topic that we're discussing with guests. So in your case, from a self-development point of view, what is the state of self-development in the APEC region? Like, what are you 
see uh, what's the maturity, generally speaking? I'll start by saying, look, I don't know anybody else in Australia and New Zealand and even APAC that spends as much time as I do watching, reading, listening, learning, right? So that's what I'm basing these comments on. And if someone thinks that they can challenge me friendly on that, then I want to be your friend. Let me know, right? So if you're listening to this and you think that you're spending your entire life focused on sales dev, reach out. Let's have a conversation by all means. But I think it's broken. I think the methodologies that we're using and the processes that we're using in relation to how we're hiring people, what we're setting them up to do, the way that we're setting them up to be successful in inverted commas, is simply not working. I think we need to have a relook at sales development. You know, we've got a lot of people that are coming into organizations that aren't being well-trained, that aren't getting great results. And from a customer's perspective, they're not getting a good service. The outreach that they're getting, you know, look in your own inbox, Felix, like 95% of it is spam. And there's so much of it. And people are just replicating that. So I'd say it's broken. It needs help. Got it. Got it. Is that more of a mindset problem, do you think? Or is that a skills problem? Well, which one comes first, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say, well, you'd have to say mindset because mindset is what drives the activity. Right. But typically, people are hiring relatively junior people to do a very difficult job. And they're saying to junior people, and when I say junior, people that are relatively new in sales, come and do an SDRs role with big software company. And if you're successful, uh, you know, somewhere between nine and 18 months, we'll promote you to the AE role. And so they're not paying a lot of money in a lot of cases. They're providing a career path, which is terrific. But in doing so, what you're actually saying to the SDRs is, this is a pretty ordinary job. It's only a stepping stone. Don't take it too seriously. And if you get your KPIs right, you'll be promoted. But this is your first interaction with your customer that we're talking about, right? That's right. So those SDRs are focusing on their KPIs, how many dials, how many emails, right? how many meetings, and not focusing on the customer impact. And so I think that we're being tricked with some software providers, sales engagement software providers, into just doing more because it becomes easier with those tools, with the software tools, right? And I think we can see that if we look at all the data that's available through HubSpot, the amount of emails that have been sent, the amount of phone calls that are being sent in APAC. So there's some publicly available data that HubSpot share pretty regularly. And we're talking about 238% increase in sales emails being sent through the HubSpot platform between January 2020. So that's the baseline. So there was already a whole bunch. By the time we got to November 2021, the increase was 238%. That's a lot. And they're not manual emails. They're automated. And Felix, I'll ask you, Listeners, I'll ask you, have a think about your inbox. Can you tell whether they're automated? Yeah, absolutely. I think <laughs> over time, you fine-tune your radar on that front, and I can definitely tell when it's not the case. And to me, I'm especially surprised when it's a well-known brand. They're like, I'm a bit taken aback. Like, I would think, okay, those guys should have figured it out, but they still sent those sort of spammy messages out. Yeah, I feel like I'm swimming against the tide here because some of the really big brands, and I won't mention them, that talk about sales enablement and have great sales enablement white papers talk about the state of sales and, and support the sales function being better, sell really badly. You know, <laughs> so they release a report saying, you know, we need to be better at the way that we engage with our customers. And then when you download the report, they spam the daylights out of you. So you get the report, you think, I'm in love with this organization because they're saying move to quality, yep. make sure that your interactions with your clients are valuable. You download the report, nine seconds later, they ring you and say, what do you think of the report? Yeah, that's right. Well, I haven't read the 54 pages in the, in the nine minutes that you 
you know. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. People are going to convert between zero and nine minutes if you ring them. Maybe, not really. So they're then doing exactly the same poor sales activity that their report's telling not to do. So who's leading here? Yeah, that's right. I think another one of my non-favorite moves <laughs> by those big vendors, and I think that specific case was also a even a CRM vendor, which you think would be on top of information sharing across the organization. I visited their website and was looking at the pricing page because I was doing some research. And then I got an email from one person and then I got a call from another person, like almost simultaneously. So I think there's a lot of uh, reputational damage being done and a lot of brand damage being done by those practices. And as you said, I think at the end of the day, for a lot of brands, probably for most brands anyway, the first interaction that a potential customer has with the brand is through the SDR, unless you've been running some marketing campaign or your brand is generally well known. I think that can be highly damaging if you have those sort of practices in action. Yeah. So what do we need to do? You know, I think we need to take the dial off the automation dial and wind that back from, I was going to say 11, but it's probably feels to me like it's up around 25 out of 10 <laughs> and wind that back. And instead of saying, how can we convert an open rate of or a response rate of 2% for our cold email, which is what many businesses are getting. So they're saying, well, let's just send twice as many so that we get 2% of a bigger pile. So that'll be the equal 4%. I think you've got to be, we've got to be winding it back to be, well, how can we get a 30% response rate from 40 emails or 30 emails? Because you burn less leads, your customers won't get grumpy with you and you can have a higher quality of interaction. And of course, your next question is going to be, why do we get here? I would imagine. And I think it's these sales enablement platforms that are focused on other regions. So they're focused on America, they're focused on the UK. And so they should because that's where the population is. But it just doesn't work here. We've got a different mindset. We've got a different geographical workplace. The way that we manage communications in Australia is significantly different to the US and just cutting and pasting stuff from the US. And you and I do it. Like we see a cadence white paper. This is how you build a, a cadence, you know, from XYZ business that's credible. And so you look at it and you go, oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, I'll just apply that across my business. Well, that's a massive fail because that cadence has been written for a different set of circumstances in a different region that has different communication channels. Yeah. But the marketing head of marketing or the head of sales enablement, an Australian APAC business takes that world's best practice in inverted commas and then just maps that out. And we end up with the spam that we've got in our inbox. Doesn't work. So on that note, something that I see over and over again happening throughout my career is businesses from overseas wanting to enter the Australian market and especially American businesses enter the market all guns blazing bringing out a whole lot of American execs into the market and think they gain traction here rather quickly, but then they soon realize that the approach is a bit different here. You touched on the scale issue. Are there any other nuances that overseas companies get wrong when they enter the APAC market? What should be considered? We need to be really mindful of the way that we communicate as compared to the motherland, wherever that is. And so I've been pretty fortunate to train sales teams across Europe, America, throughout most of Asia, and of course, heaps of people here in ANZ. And there's different communication channels. For example, you can't use text message in the UK, like it's illegal. Yet here in Australia, you can, and you've got a 98.5% open rate. You are in the UAE, you've got less than a 15% open rate. Why is that? Because every workshop that you go into in the UAE, you put your phone number in, and then they continually spam you with text messages and offers. So that's become a spam channel. 
So if you just took a cadence from Australia, for example, and tried to apply that in the UAE that has text message in it, it's not going to be as effective. In Malaysia, if you're selling financial services or anything like that, you need to get permission before you can call them. Right? So again, if you just took a sales enablement cadence from the US and tried to supplant that here in Australia or into Malaysia, if you're selling financial services, you're actually breaking the law. But it's not going to work because people in Malaysia think that it's rude for you to call them without an invitation. So in financial services, it's illegal. If it's just SaaS, it's just rude. (laughs) (laughs) So you want to be mindful of that stuff. And God bless America. You know, there's a lot of good stuff comes out of America, but a lot of the times they just think that that's all there is. And I get it. If you're selling to 330 million people, then, you know, a phone call in the morning and an email in the afternoon is probably a pretty good cadence, but it's not going to work here. Yeah, that's right. So in terms of the structure of this end-to-end sales process, and you mentioned that a lot of times quite junior people can be put into the SDR roles without being equipped with the right knowledge or the right tools to actually do that job effectively and responsibly. How should sales leaders approach sales development in the context of the end-to-end sales process? Okay, so this is probably going to be your audio grab, I I think. All right, so... (laughs) (laughs) And I've only just come up with this methodology that I've started talking to people about, and I'm getting screwed up noses, so I know it's going to be a little bit (laughs) controversial. So if you've got 30 SDRs in your team, and I'm using 30 because it's an easy number, sack 10 of them. Get the money that you spend on that 10 and redistribute it to the 20, okay? And redistribute it in the way of increased wages, increased tools, not just sales enablement mass tools, but the tools to help them do the job and training. So that there's a high level of prestige and less of a rush to get out of an SDR role and that we create stages in, you know, like, so at the moment you're an SDR, then you're an AE. Let's have a three stage. Let's create like a senior SDR or level three SDR. And so people can walk through wage steps. And I know there's a lot of different wages out there. I was talking to an SDR only yesterday who was getting 160 grand Australian for setting lots of appointments quite regularly. And she was like, how can I make more money? I had a good look around and I thought the most you could make as an SDR in Australia, as far as I can tell, is about 195000 if you're working for a business that really is all in on, on sales dev. But let's just bring those wages back a bit. So if you know, we have like three steps, fifty, seventy, dollars and, and $90,000, for example, for SDR wages, you sort of move through that so that you stay in the role a little bit longer and you've got more of a focus on customer interaction and customer experience. And you take the role more seriously. And hopefully, we'd have people that then would stay in being an SDR. When you look at the people that are doing it really good, like there's a couple of outbound calling teams and SDR internal teams that I know of that are all stocked with people over 40, probably even actually over 50. They do really well. But if you go to the big software companies, there's not many people over 50 rolling around with an SDR role. That's right. So there's currently no real career path for SDRs, right? As you said. Why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After we do this podcast, go to LinkedIn, do a poll. What's the hardest part of sales in your mind? Getting a new business meeting, closing, negotiating, whatever. And every time, more than 50% will say, finding new business, having new conversations. Yeah, yeah. You know that as well as I do. So why are we using that as the entry into sales? So is it fair to say that maybe the reason for that as well is because the approach is not tailored to what the buyers actually want. It is not enjoyable for that reason. And also because the approach is wrong and you get buyers potentially on a call who 
might agree to the meeting, even though they aren't really in the mindset right now, but they've been harassed so often that they eventually agree. So they're not actually good prospects. Because of that reason, the pay of SDRs might also be lower. So if we turn that around, do you think it is possible to make the role enjoyable, create a career path and improve the quality of appointments being set? Well, that's why I started sales development as a service, because I'm so frustrated with businesses asking me what we should do and they're not doing it. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to invest good money, my own money out of my back pocket, out of my wife's bank account, joint bank account, to build a business that does exactly that, that employs people that are professional appointment setters, to use an old school term, but use new school techniques, focus on the customer interaction, can hold a conversation get paid really well, work when they want to, and don't feel the need to become an AE or do any of that, like understand that what they're doing is providing real value for the organizations that they work for. So I believe that you can do it so much so, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the characteristics that you look for when hiring for your sales development as a service, and generally for organizations that are hiring sales development reps, like what sort of characteristics and what sort of character traits and skills do you think those organizations should look for in order to really get the right people on board to follow that new approach that is more empathetic to the buyer? So I think curiosity is probably the key. It's not the ability to read a script. Coachability is important, I think. And I also think it's not the ability to be able to handle objections or any of that sort of cliche stuff. I think when I listen to the very best cold callers in the world, and when I say cold, outbound callers, I prefer outbound calling as the label than cold calling. I think that's just anchored in 80s and 70s rubbish, whereas outbound calling has got a place today. If I look at the people that, I've, that are really good at outbound calling, they're pretty calm, male or female, controversially, a deep male sort of DJ voice, a bit like yours, Felix, actually seems to convert better. Right. The slower you talk, and I know I talk a thousand miles an hour, that's just my personality, but the slower that you talk and the more deliberate you can sound, the more likely you're going to get somebody to engage on the phone. So they're some of the things that are going to have an impact, but really somebody that can understand business outcomes and then figure out what's going on in those businesses and where the product that you're selling intersects with those businesses and what the challenges or benefits might be and can quickly get to a, a fairly easy conversation about that are the traits that you want. But I think what people are doing is instead they're hiring SDRs knowing that it's a first step into other roles of sales inside the organization and SDRs come out of that role and they go into sales enablement. They go into marketing. They go into account executive. They go in, you know, lead gen. So people are just going, oh, okay, you've got two ears, two eyes, a nose and a forehead. Great. You'd be an SDR. And then see how you go. And if you make it past the grueling nine months of making phone calls terribly, then you can pick a pathway into the business. And I think that's what's happening is people are just taking anybody. And as a result, the KPIs show that. It's all about how many dials can you make and how many emails can you send and not about the quality of the conversation. And we're getting a crappy result. So some of the things that you just mentioned kind of strike me as something that comes with life experience and career experience. You said being calm on the phone, calm and collected, having that business acumen and really being able to hold a conversation. And you also mentioned that you have hired people that are more mature for your service as well. If a sales leader wanted to make that move and really shift that demographic of their SDR team, like where would they look for that sort of talent? 
Uh, well, now you ask me to give away my secrets, aren't you? So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They look for the talent on your website. So look, we're actually at a really good spot now because of the work from home and the focus on being able to do these sorts of things remote, both from the client side. So people are more accepting of a Zoom meeting now than what they were two or three years ago. We don't need to have face-to-face meetings that we can interact with people more freely via digital formats. Go into the regions. Go and hire Mark from Muldura or Mark from wherever. Look into the regions. Look for people that have got some experience and pay them above or a wage. You know, so if they're in the regions that typically they're on a, a slightly less wage, pay them a city wage and get them to work out of their home office and set them up with the right tools and the right training. Like I say, get those 30 SDRs, divide it into two-thirds, keep your best two-thirds, but keep the money in the budget and just train better, hire better, pay better. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that also plays into the labor shortage that we're currently experiencing here in Australia for international listeners. So we're highly reliant on young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed salespeople entering the country to feed that sales machine and to take those new roles. And I think that sounds to me like a great way to not only deal with that situation, but actually improve the way you operate on that front. Yeah. And I do want to give a plug to disability services. We don't need to get into the office anymore. So I'm 100% sure there's people out there that are mobility challenged, that deserve a chance, that can hold a conversation, that have got great, 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 great brains, great communication skills. They'd be dying to work for a big SaaS company and get the same chance everyone else can. Yeah. And my father-in-law is like 78 and still working in disability employment. So that's, I guess, why that might sound like it comes out of left field, but I just have a bit of passion in that space because of John. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's say a sales leader makes that move and shifts the approach, possibly the demographic of their SDR team. How can they make sure they actually stay up to date with that approach and make sure that it evolves over time? Because it's great to change one, but as we know, the markets never stop evolving and there's always a competitive edge to be gained if you actually stay up to date. So how can they make sure that they evolve their approach to sales development? Sales dev is one of those really interesting parts of the sales process that's super tactical. So the people that I find that are really good at that are typically not the more senior salespeople. So you have to have, and I'm talking from my experience, I have to have my ear to the ground, you know, like who's the 25-year-old kid on LinkedIn that's writing awesome content? And they're probably stepping over the line a little bit sometimes and saying the wrong things. But, you know, like you've got to look at that sort of level and go, how are they engaging? You know, I remember speaking to a a young lady on my podcast last year and I, she was talking about using Instagram to drive meetings. And I was like, oh yeah, that's so obvious. That's awesome. But you're not going to see that on page 56 of one of the software's sales enablement white papers. <laughs> so as a sales leader, you need to figure out where your strengths are. And if you're a strategic sales leader, then you need to go and find, get somebody else to bring that stuff to your table. And you've probably got young AEs or younger SDRs who are gobbling up all of that content on LinkedIn and Twitter and go to them and say, who's awesome? I know this is a sales enablement podcast, and I think this is actually where sales enablement falls down. Sales enablement plays a very safe game, and sales development is trying things, breaking things, remodeling it, and giving it another go. And I think sales enablement positions itself as the thought leader of tactics and strategies often inside an organization. And as a result, they only want to use, that sort of like that marketing piece, you know, like we only want to use things that are tried and tested. By the time they're tried and tested, they're pretty much done. Got it, got it. <laughs> so there has to be room for experimentation and also room for failure in order to actually make that innovation happen. 
Yeah. And in some organisations, financial services here in Australia, that's difficult because you need to, when you reach out to somebody, you need to say who you are and where you're calling from and that the call's being recorded. Yeah. So if you're selling other things, it's a bit easier. So it's not going to be one size fits all. Got it. Got it. Mark, could go on for hours, but we're running out of time. So thank you so much for sharing your honest opinion on the space and your rich experience. Very much appreciated. I think there's a lot of new angles there that are not being talked about very broadly. So thank you for sharing that. If people want to learn more about yourself, your body of work, and also your business, where can they find you? No problem. And can I just say, I know that was like a long rant. I'm not a nasty old man. Okay. So I am pretty positive. <laughs> I'm just trying to give people a bit of a rev up. People, if you want to find me and you're into a bit of fun, Twitter is probably where I bang out a bump a bunch of content that's a bit fun. That's M-A McInnes, M-C-I-N-N-E-S. If you want something a little bit more straight-laced that you can put into your business, then, then LinkedIn by all means. And if you just look up Mark McInnes on LinkedIn, you should find me there pretty easily. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks, favorite. Love it.